newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra read all. And here we go. Another edition of the Media Project is up and running from Northeast Public Radio. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ira Fussfeld, retired publisher of the Daily Freeman of Kingston, New York, sitting in for Rex Smith this week. He's out and about somewhere. He will return. We've been assured or we've been warned he'll be back. <laughs> Joining us as usual is Alan Shartok, CEO here at WAMC. And don't forget that. I have not forgotten it all these years. Judy Patrick is here, former editor of the Daily Gazette of Schenectady, New York, and current vice president for editorial development at the New York Press Association. And look, there's Rosemary Armeo. Look investigative yeah. journalist and adjunct professor at RPI and the University of Albany. Welcome one and all. So here we go. We would be remiss, even though several days now have passed since it all occurred, but we have what the New Yorker is calling the return of the nonstop Trump news cycle. We all know what happened. We all saw it. Seemingly, we all saw it. From the OJ car coverage to the looking up and down the hallways in Manhattan to the airplane taking off to the speech that night in Florida. Here's we said in our ivory tower. What what does the group think of this coverage? Forgetting about Trump and his positions in the world. What about our role? Well, nobody knows this stuff better than Rosemary. So, <laughs> Rosemary, I know that you're going to tell us. Saturation coverage I know about. Yeah, I have to say it was kind of appalling and definitely a throwback to the early Trump campaign when we gave unfettered, uncommentated glimpses, more than a glimpse, it was just a viewing of all of his rallies. And that gave him what amounted to free advertising. And I think we did the same. There was drama, there was suspense. Even the ex-president himself was sending out video from his motorcade going down the streets of New York. It was uncalled for. They, meaning broadcast channels, did better that night when Trump returned to Florida and gave a whiny, sore losery, grievance-filled speech. And they did not cover it in full. Most of the channels did not cover it in full. They started out and then broke away and said, well, we'll tell you if he says anything. Yeah, well, CNN covered pretty much all of chunks. it. The right-wing channels covered all of it. But MSNBC and, well, I guess just MSNBC did not. They were a little more selective. So what do you make of that, Ira, the fact that you can almost predict which news source is going to give you what? Well, we're not surprised. I defer to Judy on that just to get her in the conversation. But the thing that concerns me, it always has, is that when we, we, I think including us, when we talk about media coverage, we are largely these days talking about the cable news channels. And, and, and so media coverage was good, media coverage was excessive, media coverage was bad. But I think we were judging that really by what we saw on television and that the print media or the digital side of the print media had a better perspective in terms of how much to cover it and how it should be covered. Well, now, this is a program, obviously, about news. Do you think what you've just described, the print media versus the electronic media, is bad for what Americans know and how they process it? So governing that day, I think I alternated between watching television and checking the website to see how the major news organizations were covering it. 
And what you saw on broadcast television or cable television was the need to fill enormous amounts of time with speculation. Oh, when is the door going to open? This police officer might be a Secret Service agent. He had a, a lot of speculation. They just had tons of space to fill. If you just wanted the news of what was really happening, I would go to a website and read what a newspaper reporter had the time to write and to post, and it gives you a far better perspective on what was happening. You know, I, along with probably millions of other Americans, kept on saying, have we learned nothing from 2016? Because as been reported by Rolling Stone, Trump was offered the option of being arraigned via Zoom to avoid this whole spectacle, and he chose the spectacle for a reason. I mean, he's, he's used it to his political advantage, and we fell for it once again. Now, that being said, probably the ratings were really high that day for the cable news channels. Okay, so we dinosaurs all agree that if people would just look at newspapers, we'd be all be much better off. It ain't happening. They're not looking at young people hardly look at the news at all. They did look at TikTok and video of that car chase. They were not alive during the OJ day. So they got to relive it as we all watched it then. They watched it Although now. O.J. was a little bit more dramatic. Oh, he had a gun at least. Yeah, yeah, as, a, as yeah. a native New Yorker, I enjoyed watching the streets of New York. Yeah, being cleared out. Yeah, time. being all cleared out. However, I will say one thing. When the scene switched to the courtroom, uh, Trump was not in control anymore. He was not running the show. He looked scared. He looked guilty, <laughs> to put my opinion in. And cameras in the courtroom, despite we're talking here about over coverage, there should have been cameras in that courtroom. Can you, can you elaborate? I was going to raise that point. I, I forgot that that was still an issue. I remember when I was an editor, decades mm -hmm. ago, we were fighting for cameras in court. New York courts at that level do not require cameras in the courtroom. It's left up to the judge, and the judge in this case said no. He didn't want a circus like, give me a break. Cause circus was beforehand. already in town. On the other hand, I will say I love court artists, and I think that the ones who worked this one captured some of what I'm talking about. What they did was they let the cameras come in at the very beginning before the proceedings actually started when everybody was settling into seats and then they were kicked out. And the court reporters captured Trump's diffident, not confident, not in control look. Um, that's great. But we need cameras in the courtroom. So in your opinion, Rosemary, why are we not getting that? We, not you getting said cameras we, in the courtroom. Yeah, you said we need it. Why aren't we getting it? A couple of reasons. We don't have them in the Supreme Court. So from the very top, judges are mirroring, mirroring the behavior of the superior courts. Judges fear losing control. They think somehow that cameras in the courtroom will make a lawyers, even jurors, play to the camera. They'll act up, and they don't want that. Do you believe that's so? It doesn't happen. If you've ever covered, as I have, courtrooms where there are cameras, at the very beginning there might be some fussing and preening, and then everyone forgets about the cameras. Anybody who's worked undercover knows this. You can go... Well, they always make Exhibit A the O.J. trial. Right. That one of the reasons, allegedly, that it lasted as long as it did was because the lawyers and all the other principals were playing, including the judge, were playing for the cameras. But typically in New York State, especially at the county court level, you will appeal to the judge, you'll write a written request to the judge asking if you could photograph, for example, the sentencing, a sentencing. So that's a still camera in there there are no live cameras. In the case of the Trump arraignment, one of the problems I had with it was they weren't even allowing reporters to bring in their phones, so they right. couldn't live tweet. You had to wait until the entire proceeding was over to find out what had happened. And I understand maybe they wouldn't trust the reporters not to take a picture of what was going on, but what is the danger of have, allowing reporters to have their phones, their laptops inside the courtroom? I, I thought that was too far. Well, there are some judges who just consider even talking to your neighbor, whispering to your neighbor to be disruptive, and they'll take these extreme 
extreme measures to have absolute control and silence, but it just is not realistic. Courtrooms are public. That is a hallmark of democracy, that you have open courtrooms where everybody can see what's going on, and you should not have to go and get one of the very few restricted seats in a public courtroom like that in order to exercise that right. You know, that being said, does anybody here think that it would be a good idea to televise the Trump trial if it actually happens? And in fact, Absolutely. In, other, in Georgia, that may actually happen. And in federal court, well, no, they, they wouldn't allow it. They won't allow it in, in federal, federal court. court. No. Can I also point out that, yes, OJ is the example always held up. That was years ago. Do you know what's happened to camera technology, video technology since then? It is not as intrusive. Well, it's, they're not obtrusive as pieces of equipment, but everybody would still be aware of the fact that there are cameras in the room if they decided to grandstand. And what do you make of that, Ira? Which part? The fact that everybody would be aware of it. Well, to Rosemary's point that the technology has changed, she's absolutely right. The cameras are not going to be as obtrusive, but people will still know they are there if they choose to want to play up to the cameras. You sound like a Supreme Court justice. (laughs) I I, uh, very much Oh, those horrible modern things. Get rid of them. And your reference, in case anybody has missed it, is that the Supreme Court of the United States doesn't allow it. Of course not. I think that the Supreme Court allowed it, which they ought to. They ought to have years ago. I think you'd see more state-level courts following suit. Yeah, the bottom line is the media likes things as transparent as possible and they want things to happen as quickly as possible and that's just the opposite of what courts do. Mm -hmm. Things move very slowly in the judicial system and district attorneys, prosecutors and generals and even defense attorneys like to hold things secret as long as they can. For example, the indictment was issued days before it was actually released and what was the purpose of that? I mean, it's just because there are certain procedures they like to follow and it's just slow and it's hard for us in the media to appreciate it. It's very frustrating when you want to get the story out and you want to know what's in that indictment. You want to know what's happening in the court and we just have to exercise patience. Well, it's also because we know that the real reason for all of this is control. The judges do not want to look bad. They don't want to make a mistake on a camera. They don't want to say something, a slip of the tongue that makes them look foolish. And embarrassment is not one of the reasons to keep information transparent. So meanwhile, in the days leading up to when the indictment was finally unsealed, we had panel after panel after panel on the cable channels, particularly CNN and MSNBC, talking about the cases. And then finally somebody would say, what I have to point out, we don't really know what we're talking about. And now you're seeing, after the charge, the indictment did come out, you're seeing, oh, there's not much of a case here. An indictment does not lay out strategy. The prosecution has nothing to gain by putting its whole strategy in those charging documents. Uh, They need to say, and he did in his news conference and in the explanation, here's what I'm thinking. But to lay it all out, how he's going to connect all that, it's not there yet. You're still hearing criticism. The analysis of this case has been so partisan. It is an important. Why did it come first? These are all like irrelevant issues, I think. So when you use the word partisan, could you go a little further? Into yeah, that? if you're for Trump, you think there's nothing to it. This is a nothing burger. If you're against Trump, it's like, well, it's a novel defense. How many times have you heard that? It's a novel defense. Which, what's wrong with that? It's a novel legal strategy that got abortion banned in Texas. That was a novel legal thing to set up vigilantes in law. So yes, it is novel, but will it work? 
Bragg, isn't he, to my reckoning, the only one who's gotten a criminal conviction against Trump or his organization? Yes, he is. Yeah. So why is it, it both sides are just wrong. The, the truth, as usual, lays in the middle. Well, I, I'm hoping we've exhausted our use of the word unprecedented. We haven't oh used it here, gosh, but I've yeah. seen. We're in uncharted territory yeah. here. By the way, if Trump ought to be indicted by the way he dances at his rallies, <laughs> I'm going to start campaigning for that. Uh, this is the Media Project. I'm Ira Fussfeld with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Mayo, and Judy Patrick. Two peripheral stories. One was of the 60 Minutes interview with Marjorie Taylor Greene, oh. who got criticized for its substance or lack thereof in many places. I would suggest it was an interview that maybe shouldn't have taken place at all, giving her the platform. <laughs> Do you agree with one or both of those positions? Well, Ira, in asking that question, could you fill in those of us who didn't see it on what went on? Well, sure. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is the rising, quote-unquote, star in the far-right uh, congresswoman, and she was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and her positions on a number of topics are, are pretty much out there, including the fact that she thinks the Democrats are pedophiles. And so she got the 60 Minutes treatment. Leslie Stahl, a veteran journalist, conducted the interview. 60 Minutes has a history of good journalism. It also has a history of interviewing people who are not the world's most popular people. So in that sense, they're just following the tradition but want I, to find out whether you guys think they should. I can go first. I think it's completely justified that she was on. Yes, she's an idiot and an extremist and a cancer on the American politics, but she is increasingly powerful, oddly and unexpectedly powerful. She deserved to be on the show. She did not get interviewed well. She was much more prepared than Leslie Stahl. I think maybe I've talked for a long time about term limits on politicians. I think maybe journalists need to face them too. Leslie Stahl is 81. She was no match for Marjorie Taylor Greene. At one point, when Green is saying, oh, yeah, I definitely think that Democrats are pedophiles. I, I would state that strongly. And Leslie Stahl kind of sat back and said, wow. Like, yeah, she, she was learning something. She and I'm, I'm, yeah, She made a face, and I'm sure that maybe boomers, I got it, that she was expressing distaste, but it doesn't come off that way. And she should know better. She's a TV person, has been all of her life. And that, wow, was like, wow, what a great idea. What a novel way of thinking. <laughs> novel, I keep using that word. Well, well, Rosemary, as long as you brought us there, you know, what about the concept of how old journalists yeah. should be? Andrea like? Mitchell is also getting a lot of negative feedback this week for her coverage. Breathless and inarticulate is how it's described. She is, by the way, 76. Five years younger than me. You were not covering a national news story as it's happening. She was describing the motorcade, and it, that requires fast thinking, lots of background, lots of words. And, and what you said, Judy, she's filling in dead space where people are waiting for something to happen and nothing is happening. That takes a skill. She used to have it. She sure didn't have it that day. She and Leslie Stahl, I would add, are terrific journalists. They have a great body of work behind them. But at some point in time, all of us have to acknowledge, as I fumper my own sentences, that it's time I, to move I on. I am retiring for this reason. I don't have it like I used to. Diane Feinstein, same thing. Why is it women? Because you know, it happens to men, too. Um, well, Lauren does. Hatch was in way longer than he should have been, for Well, example. it does, but I, we've got Ira here, who is uh, <laughs> talk, talk, talking about <laughs> Okay, Ira, you're on the spot. I, I was going to address Alan as dad. <laughs> So you talked about Marjorie Taylor Greene getting the 60-minutes treatment, but I don't think she did get the 60-minutes treatment because when I think of the 60-minutes treatment, I think of Mike Wallace. I, th I think of a good interview. And what Leslie Saul didn't do was she didn't respond to the questions with hard-hitting follow-up questions. Correct. The other issue is 
where were the producers at 60 Minutes that let this happen? Because, okay, you keep Leslie Stahl on because of her history. She has good contacts, and perhaps she's able to get those interviews that maybe a younger journalist wouldn't be able to she's get. She's an institution. So same thing with Andrea Mitchell. Yeah. But you have a supporting system that says, we're going to help her. We're going to provide her some questions in her ear, or we're going to help her through this. Or if it becomes a catastrophe of an interview, you don't air it. Same thing, Andrea Mitchell has a noontime show on MSNBC, and Twitter regularly beats her up because, again, she has good contacts and she can get good guests on the air, but she fumbles. Over the years, she stumbles a bit, and when she's covering something live, they typically have somebody like Katie Turr on with her to smooth out the rough edges. Yeah, I feel badly for her, but it's unwatchable in my view when you turn on a major television channel to watch a major television newscast, you expect an A-level broadcaster doing the report. And Andrea Mitchell used to be an A-level broadcast, and she's not anymore. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's happening to all of us. But why NBC continues to use her in the, in those settings? When she does a report on the nightly news... That she's thinking and she, has written yeah, it out. Yeah, she's got a yeah. script. It's yeah. great. And, and you can't deny the contact she had. I noticed last night as we speak, she had a one-on-one with Kevin McCarthy. Well, no matter what you think of him uh, yeah, and whether he should be in, in, interviewed, she got an interview with him. Great journalist, but disappointing. Let's go to the defamation trial that may or may not be taking place this week. Uh, I'm still of the opinion that it's going to be settled at the 11th hour, but Dominion, the machine maker for the elections, is to file a $1.6 billion defamation trial against Fox News, and it's gone through the uh, various levels of background, and we're now at the point where they're going to select a jury, and it's also, more interestingly, at the point where we know that Fox News is prepared to send up to speak in under oath people like Tucker Carlson, Maria Bartiromo, mm-hmm. Sean Hannity, Janine Pirro, and Brett Baer. And the judge in the trial has also said that Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch, who, of course, head Fox News, are fair game as well. Thoughts on this trial? One of the things we've talked about here is as much as many of us don't care for Fox News, I think there are media people who are not so sure they're rooting for or against Fox News because the trial could impact their own operations. I hope you're right, and they are talking furiously behind the scenes and settle it, because if Mm. it goes to trial, no matter who wins, it'll be bumped up to federal court, and we'll end up with the Supreme Court of the United States now rigged and illicit. People are on it who should not be. Merrick Garland is not on it, should be. Amy Coney Barrett was pushed through. The judges were picked for their stated ideological positions. Everybody's wringing their hands over Wisconsin. Look at what happened in the Supreme Court. So uh, this case on defamation would end up before the Supreme Court, which is itching to get the press, to make those laws, to make it easier to sue media outlets. So I don't want that to happen. On the other hand, as many commentators have said, this is the most open and shut case of defamation under the old strict law that favors journalists yeah. that if you've ever seen. If there's ever been one that it's going to be a loser, it's yeah, this one. Yeah, it's this one. Well, so I think, could, I think, so could either of you give us a little bit of background on that? Yeah, well, the rule is you are guilty of libel, of defamation. If you put material out that is only there because you hate the person or the institution, malice, or you paid no attention to whether it was true or not deliberate disregard of the truth. And Dominion got release of all of the emails and correspondence going on in Fox during the period between the election and January 6th. And it shows that 
Fox officials, um, Fox stars, did not believe what Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Donald Trump were saying, and yet they repeatedly put those people on and gave them a platform to spew their big lie. That's reckless disregard of the truth. If you know it isn't true and you still broadcast it, it seems to me that's reckless disregard. Fox has lost every step of the way. The judge ruled that, yes, everybody has to testify up to and including old man Murdoch, who they've tried to say it's just an inconvenience. The judge has said, well, we'll work out the details so we can get these busy officials in. The judge has said there's ample proof that false information was presented. That's a huge blow because Fox was trying to say all we did was print what the candidates were saying, what what Trump and the president of the United States was saying. We, we didn't say it was true or not. The judge goes, nope, that's wrong. So they have lost every step of the way. They should be settling. I think Dominion has been totally enjoying this. They've gotten their reputation back to some extent. But if it goes into the federal court system and ends up at the Supreme Court, journalists overall are going to lose. And by the way, we, since we, we were picking on Leslie Stahl and uh, Andrea Mitchell, Rupert Murdoch is 92. So he you, just you have broke to, his engagement. Yes, oh, what a my shame. God. Uh, and that was the shortest engagement ever. So if the case is settled, as Rosemary suggests, then it wouldn't be appealable. But if, you, if it goes to court, then we get to listen to Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Rupert Murdoch be examined and cross-examined on the stand. And every, uh, there are many people who, who would love to see that. There are many pe- Some people are speculating that Dominion would be foolish to s- settle this when what they want to do is you know, to hold Fox News, their, their feet to the fire on what happened. Between the that and, and January 6th, yeah. Yeah, and I think short of a huge settlement and maybe some uh, apologies, on-air apologies yeah. from Fox, I don't think Dominion will settle, but perhaps Fox will agree to issue some apologies at the 4 a.m. news hour. Wouldn't that be that'll great, be that. though? That, that would have to hurt Fox more than losing a lot of money. Is if they, if I don't keep, know about that. If their <laughs> people went on, on the air as part of the settlement and they got on the air, each one of them who have been quoted in those emails about how they hate Trump, if they were forced to go on the air and say, we, we said this, but we were wrong, we apologize. It wasn't like this. It won't touch their business plan. They have not covered this trial at all. It's been major news every place else except Fox News, which is, uh, has forbidden its staffers to talk about it, including even the media coverage of the uh, So what do you make of that? I think that they're a propaganda outlet, and they know how to handle bad news against them. So if they lose this case, it will be spun in a way that it's not going to touch Now, meanwhile, them. under the heading of careful what you wish for, the, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida oh, yeah. and would-be presidential candidate, has been introducing legislation that would seriously curtail press freedom in Florida based on what he feels has been unfair coverage from the left and the nonpartisan free speech groups. Well, we're finding now that the right-wing media, they, they shouldn't be surprised, but they have informed DeSantis, wait a minute, not so fast. If, you, if you're going to make it easier to sue left-wing media, that means you're, you're going to be making it easier to sue right-wing media as well. They think it'll scare them off? Yeah, I think that he has not thought this through. And it is true that if the Dominion case does end up in the Supreme Court and the libel rules are loosened, it is not going to hurt the legacy press, the press that verifies and finds proof and evidence and makes corrections and is responsible. It's not going to hurt them as much as it will the Fox News and Breitbart's of the world. They routinely run rumor, witness, Dominion suit itself. That was not true, but they said, oh, well, you know, the president's talking about it, so we have to. That's going to end up being a libel suit. Well, we don't know what the legislation specifically is. I mean, if it is made to be so loose that really makes it easier to sue, it's going to be costly to all media. 
Right, and it does make it easier to sue almost anybody. And existing libel laws do the same thing, but this does make it easier. And it will also, the upshot is it will also hurt regular people, too, from if, you know, Sue Smith says something bad about her neighbor, that could head to libel court very easily, too. This law, DeSantis also could be accused of ginning up a case that could be taken to the Supreme Court and also be ruled on press freedom. So legislators have said that they're they're aiming to get a test case before the Supreme Court, which is just hungering to slap down the press. Absolutely. Well, let's briefly uh, wrap it up with this story about Facebook. Now, you know we from we've discussed it on this program and it's been discussed elsewhere that news publishers have been trying to get more money from aggregators like Facebook and Google for the for their using our material without much compensation, if any. And now a report that has been commissioned by Facebook is essentially saying we check with our users and not that many of them care or are using or looking at your content. Thus, you're not worth more money. They're basically saying, no thanks, we don't need you. You're getting more than your fair share right now. Does, does that put us on our heels? Does that surprise us? What do you think we should go from here? I, 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 use- I, I don't think it helps us. Are well, using the editorial. I, I would put more credence in this if Facebook was a little bit more open about how it amplifies or deamplifies or suppresses one post over another. I find that anything that I post of local news, uh, nobody ever sees, and uh, I think their algorithm, which remain a mystery to many people, we just try to we have to try to figure it out by how things show up on other people's feeds. I think they're a mystery, and I think Facebook may have manipulated their study because. Nobody's seeing the content because they're not showing it to many people. But I think publishers of all sorts continue to receive referrals or links back to their websites from Facebook, more so Google. But Facebook remains a powerful driver of audience, especially among an older cohort. I mean, young people aren't looking at Facebook. That's the problem is that Facebook says you media benefit a whole lot more than we do from this relationship. We don't need you. Yeah, the quote is Facebook is, quote, not a must-have platform for publishers and news publishers do not have sufficient bargaining leverage to impose unreasonable terms, meaning the money that they're seeking from the aggregators. Every once in a while, Facebook will throw a $15,000 grant at a newspaper and say, see, we're helping local news. Yeah, Yeah. you know, which is nothing compared to what they do. And there are a lot of news aggregators out there who are distributing our content or newspaper content. And the bottom line is news costs money to produce and it has to be paid for. If Facebook is going to remain relevant going forward, I think they need to promote more local news. I'm kind of sick of looking at cat videos or and in fact, in recent days, I've seen you know, way, way too much advertising in my Facebook feed. So almost like Twitter, too. They're jumbling up the feed with ads and ads and ads. Alan, you've got a minute to tell us why Elon Musk is wrong in describing NPR as state-affiliated media. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, obviously you throw bombs at that which you don't like, and I think that that's what's happening here. But I would defer to my colleague, Rosemary, who seems to know a great deal more about this than I do. It's, Alan's it's, got the secret down now. If he doesn't he doesn't want to talk about it, he just defers. Right? I, I Even also, worse than that, if I don't know. <laughs> I also love his move to remove the blue check from uh, the New York Times. He's now requiring that if you want to be verified as trustworthy, you have to pay him money. The New York Times says, well, the hell with that. We're not paying you. And so he removed the blue check, so it's now an unreliable source. He's an idiot, and it's being reflected in in loss of clients, members, whatever they call them, people who tweet, including me, and in advertising, and he deserves it. Forbes just bumped him off the list of the richest people in the world. So he's paying a price for this little policy fantasy that he's on.
Okay, well, that'll have to be the last word for this week. Thanks to Alan, Judy, Rosemary. Thanks to our producer, David Gustina. I'm Ira Fussfeld. Hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll be back next week for another edition of The Media Project. Tingling-a-ling, circulation, tingling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs>